Hello, and welcome to Women Developing Brilliance. I'm your host, Casey Rossi. It's my great pleasure to present interesting stories of creative women sharing their message and lighting up the world with their presence and offerings. Get ready to be inspired. You can learn more about creating a business that you love by visiting kcrossi.com. Enjoy. My guest today is Dr. Suzanne Doyle Morris, and she is the founder of Inclusic and the author of The Con Job, Getting Ahead for Competence in a World Obsessed with Confidence. So that sounds so juicy. I have so many questions swirling (laughs) around in my brain for you, Suzanne. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Casey. I'm really delighted. I'm very excited about your audience as well, which are very hardworking, brilliant women. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that you have really become a leader helping women gain recognition, get roles they want. And I'm so curious to also see how we can overlay this into the female entrepreneurial lens. So I'm really excited to see how some of your big topics also fit in that arena as well. So tell us a little bit about your background. I know that you have like 25 years of helping women. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. All right. So pen picture for me is I am an Australian born American who now lives in Scotland and has been in the UK for over 20 years. So I like to travel clearly, but really for me, the journey started after I did my first degree down back in Maryland, which is where I'm from, a very small liberal arts college. And I did women's studies and psychology. And I do not believe that you can do a women's studies degree and not be fundamentally grateful for the opportunities that we have that our mothers may not have had, certainly our grandmothers did not have. And so two weeks after graduating, I thought, you know what, I'm going to head over to Europe, have an adventure for a year or two. And I'm sure I'm like lots of your listeners, which means that they are in places and jobs, whatever, that they didn't see coming, but, <laughs> but really ended up in places they didn't anticipate. So for me, it was about let's have an adventure for a year or two before the children, before the responsibilities, the mortgage, all of that. But I ended up staying over 25 years and I couldn't be happier. So that's how cool that for me is, you know, that's how I ended up here working in the area that I do. So then I was working in London for a few years and I then decided I really miss studying because I, I know you're a big science geek and I love science too, but realistically, I wanted to go back to, to further my education and I wanted to do, I was thinking about a PhD and the guy I was dating in London said, well, why don't you stay here? And I said, oh no, my life is going to be back in the US. I can't possibly do that because as good as the universities are in the UK, there's really only two that most Americans have heard of, and that's Cambridge or Oxford. And I will never get into one of those. And I got to be honest, Casey, I applied simply because it was free. And so I'm sure you're aware that to apply to any undergraduate program in the U.S., you have, to, you have to pay money. And I just was like, oh, well, then I'll throw my hat in the ring. And so I was amazed to actually get into Cambridge. And that's where I did my PhD. And it looked at the experiences of women working in male-dominated fields. So that gave me a very tight niche 
pretty early on, though it could be tighter again, but that's essentially what I've done ever since then. That's amazing. I love the fact that you started with a combination of women's studies and psychology. I think it's a very powerful and needed foundation. How do you think that combination contributed to where you are now and what you help people to achieve? So I didn't want to go into a corporate career. That wasn't going to be for me. But after I did my PhD, I was like most people who have focused down on something so, so into the, the, the minutiae of it. I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to leave it. But you got into that field for a reason. So I ended up coming back to it. And that was a, a tricky one because I also know that you're a big fan of niching. And for me, I, you know, I was... 28, 29, and I had, you know, a new degree, but was thinking, okay, how do I, how do I make this work for the people I'd like to work with, which is women in in male dominated fields. So I went back and did a coaching qualification. And at the time that was 16, 17 years ago, there weren't a lot of people doing those. My supervisor actually almost cried practically when she heard I was going to be leaving academia for for the wild (laughs) west of coaching. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it said great. It set a great foundation. So you're you're right because it gave me a specialism of people that I understood and people who need to be understood because they were literally in a minority anywhere they went, whether it was the boardroom or the lab or on a coding, you know, on a coding team. They were one of very few women in those rooms, if not the only. And so at least I understood them a bit better. I love that. I love that you've been such an advocate. I'm so very curious because a lot of your work has been very polarizing, very like male and female. And I'm wondering with the rise of gender neutrality, how has that affected your work? So that's a really interesting question. So I think that with the rise of gender neutrality, what ended up happening for me was when I wrote this third book, which I it was about to be published actually in April, about the con job. What I found was that I went in like I did my first two books, which is I'm going to focus down on women because I'd written a book called Female Breadwinners, which was about women who are the main earners for their family. And my first one ever was called Beyond the Boys Club for women in those fields. So like, you're right, really niching down hard. And I went in thinking I had the answers, meaning I thought, okay, this is going to be a female issue, this idea of confidence versus competence. But actually, it turned out to be so much wider. So what I noticed in the 15 years of working with my clients is the first thing most people would ask for is they'd say, I'd like more confidence. And that's a fairly kind of blanket statement. I'm sure you hear it as well in your line of work. But when I started digging deeper into what do they mean by that, often it was the context that these women were either not confident partially because the settings in which they were working were never designed for them, or to the opposite end, when they showed confidence, they were penalized for it. So they were referred to, so if they showed confidence the way traditionally white guys, but I call them the status quo, and it goes beyond men specifically to your point, it's also looking at race and extroversion versus introversion, nationality, the kind of culture with which you've been raised. And what I found was that this was so much wider than just women versus men. It really looked at 
so much of how was I raised from what was the culture from which I'm in and what do I what do I value about my career and even that showing those choices expressed some confidence but when women showed confidence they were either called difficult uppity you know bullshit you know opportunistic bossy I mean you and I could have like the whole rest of this call just going through this list totally of, of names that we call people but even it we talked about things like socioeconomic class and that was not something I thought either so for example in Britain we refer to people who are expressing more confidence than we might anticipate but maybe from a lower socioeconomic background we might say oh they need to know their place or they're acting above their station or they're getting too big for their boots so it really is so multi-layered and I'm sure I don't have to tell you that when we when we talk of people of color they're the first ones when they describe when they show confidence for us to describe as aggressive or angry or uppity and I've got to be honest I think about Obama all the time and how he was kind of just this picture of cool yet routinely referred to as angry <laughs> it's so, so interesting I, yeah, exactly. I love, I love those distinctions. And I like that you're bringing up that it does have a lot to do with a diverse background. It doesn't really just lie with gender. I'm really interested in your take on the confidence piece, because especially for the type of clients that I have, and they're primarily women, the confidence piece is a massive stumbling block. And one of the things that I'm hearing more often is the fear of the imposter syndrome, the self-doubt that creeps up, and the feeling that they're not good enough right yet, that they need another course, another certification, another fill-in-the-blank before they can actually put their work out there. So do you have any practical tips that you can give listeners to overcome that barrier? Yeah. So I think when, when we criticize people for not being confident enough, we need to think, okay, what does confidence look like to you? And if she displayed those things, so for example, we will refer to men as being taking charge or passionate or driving his points home. I think if, if that person gives those as the examples, ask, okay, but if this was displayed in a person of color or a woman, would we use the same words to describe them? So what are you really looking for? What is valued about that? So it's about getting people to think through what are my descriptions of confidence. I think that for me, it's about opening that conversation that you're having with people a little wider to say, why do we value confidence above all? When actually we really should be valuing competence. So the person who gets the job done, does that make sense? It does. It absolutely does. And I think from the other side of the table as coach or consultant, you can see the beauty, the brilliance, the wisdom of Mm -hmm. the woman across from us. But And sometimes it's actually painful when they're struggling so hard. It's just like, do you know how awesome you are? Like the world is truly waiting for you. So I'm wondering if you found a way to dissolve that inner conflict. And a lot of it is from our own background, maybe genetic, maybe, you know, society pressure or norms. Have you found a magic wand that dissolves that for women? So unfortunately, I do not have a magic wand that I would love to share with you. You know, right? I know. How difficult is that? So some of the things I work with my clients on is when they say that they're struggling with confidence, I ask them very specifically, where do you not have confidence? Because clearly they're not walking through life 
just being a withering flower. They have confidence in a lot of settings. Maybe that's in the home. Maybe that's with the, their friends. So it's, it's really specific. So I ask, what are the situations in which you don't have confidence? And they'll work, work through that. They'll kind of explain that to me. And then we, instead, what we, we change that to say, okay, this is just a skills deficit. It's an exposure thing. You haven't had enough experience doing that. So how are we going to, between now and your next session, get you more experience doing that thing, whatever that thing is. Because most people are confident in a conversation like you and I are having, one-to-one, blah, blah, blah. But let's put some more people in there. Okay, and let's put some more people there. Okay, suddenly it's an audience. And then people are like, oh, you know, but, but realistically, okay, that means you don't have a lot of confidence with groups of 10 or more. Or maybe it's senior people, or maybe it's people outside of your organization. Just think of it as a skills deficit because the great news is you can always improve your bloody skills. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It breaks it down and it also takes what could feel like an overwhelming topic and just whittle it down to very specific facts and then we start looking for proof on how to validate the opposite of feeling unconfident and being like, wait, I have proof that I actually am confident here, here, and here. That's a transferable skill. That's a skill I can build. So I really like that. I think that that's amazing. Back to you being an author. I'm so curious when people put themselves out there and it's like when you're authoring a book, right? It feels like your whole heart and soul is on these black and white pages ahead of you. First of all, did you feel that way? Yeah. I mean, I don't know any author who doesn't, frankly. And actually, I'd go further than that and I'd say, I'm not sure I'd want to read an author who doesn't. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, otherwise, they're not giving me the best of what they're thinking and I can never really get under the skin of what goes through, through their mind. So I really believe when you open a book by somebody, it's almost like saying, this is inside my head. You are getting inside my head as quickly as you possibly can. Yeah, it's extremely or good or bad. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I totally commend you for not only penning one, but you're on your third. And mm-hmm. in that, was one more difficult than another? Like, was the first one the hardest? Or did you feel pressure like, wow, I already have one under my belt or two under my belt. I have to keep coming up with new and creative ideas in order to stay on the cutting edge. What was your process like personally? So, so my process, I did a couple within the first few years. The first one definitely is the hardest. I think you don't know how big it is until it's out there. So what I mean by that is it took me, this most recent one took me two years. I tend to do a lot of interviews with people. This one's coming out in April and it's got, I've done interviews with like 40 global leaders, but I've also got loads of citations of research, what research shows, and there's like 300 of them. And so I think anyone who tells you, you can write a book in 60 days or less is full of, (laughs) I'm not even going to use an expletive on your lovely show, but that's, I think that's not worth having realistically. So it is a tough process, but I think it's really very worthwhile because for me, it has actually built my career. And the second one came quite quickly because what I started to notice about my clients, the types of women that I was working with, is that many of them were the main earners for their family. And I thought, what is that like when you are, most of them were heterosexual and I was just interested, what does that mean for the marriage? What does that also mean for the workplace? Because the workplaces where I go and consult and where I coach, they tend to assume that the woman is there as a secondary income. 
But let's be honest, people, she is often the main earner. <laughs> Whether she has a relationship or maybe she's a single parent or whatever, she deserves her money. So let's not hold off assuming somebody else is supporting her. Amen yeah. to that. Absolutely. I mean, that is such an old paradigm that I, I really, quite frankly, wish would just expire. Today's episode is brought to you by Thrive Business Thrive, a step-by-step business building online course. Thrive Business Thrive takes you from a concept to paying clients in just 16 weeks. If you're tired of doing it alone and trying to piece together your business by watching one YouTube tutorial after another and following multiple experts, it's time to plug into a tried and true plan. Thrive Business Thrive focuses on results, increasing your impact, and moreover, establishing the foundation needed for a thriving business. To learn more about Thrive Business Thrive, your blueprint to create a flourishing business, visit caseyrossi.com slash thrive. That's caseyrossi.com slash thrive. What did you find as a common denominator? And I understand that everybody's unique and their circumstances are unique, but did you find a common denominator when you were writing the book about female breadwinners of a fear to truly let their their light shine in kind of the mindset that they may emasculate their partner or there could be like turbulence if we dampered down the typical role? Like, what did you find there? So that was an interesting one. And I will tell you a kind of an illustrative answer by a story, which is that I've got three books. Everybody was very happy for me to quote them, use their name, use their company name, all of that kind of stuff. However, for female breadwinners, nobody wanted to be quoted because they did not want their husbands or other people to read what went on in their marriages. And I think that speaks to your emasculation question, which is, yes, what I would say is, Uh, 90%, maybe 95% of the women I interviewed didn't see this ever coming. And I think that's a real shame that we historically don't raise women to think that they will be the main earners for themselves, for their children, that there will always be somebody else who helps provide for them, if not is the, the main provider for them. So this was not something they'd happen. And what was interesting is that it came by lots of different ways that people didn't expect. So it might be divorce, which is obvious, but it it may be also just not finding the right partner. It could also be based on a death. So for example, I met women who, I met one woman, you know, and she, she and her husband were both going big places. They weren't even 30 and they were engaged and he got a diagnosis, which meant that by their wedding day, just a few months later, he couldn't even walk down the aisle. And so she became the earner and she said, I never saw that coming. So that was the kind of the consistent response. It also was, sometimes it was about just poor decisions in investing. Oh, I thought the money was with him. And then turns out he, (laughs) he spent it poorly or he invested it poorly or his business failed or whatever. But it was very powerful for the women who took on that mantle to know that they could not only support themselves, but they could support their children. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I have seen a couple people where they're like, you know, my business has allowed me to retire my husband. And I love that. Like, I, I think it's fabulous. And, and I have to share really something that I've struggled with as well. I'm in a six-year relationship with my partner and he's not a business-minded person. He loves the consistency and the reliability of working for someone else. Yeah. And sometimes I do struggle with how much do I share because it's a very different mindset of being yeah. your own boss and yes, really being so excited that you are busting through any glass ceiling that is only there if you put it there. It's only there if it's self-imposed because yeah. we get to create our own reality. And so there is something there. So I was really drawn to that. So curious about your findings on that and how even in my own life, it's this balance and dance of like, I don't want to damper anything down. Like I want unlimited potential and possibilities. Yeah. And I want to be able to freely communicate that without wondering if there's going to be a negative ripple effect. Yeah. To go to that re re negative ripple effect, I'll tell you another funny story that came out after the book came out is that some very, fairly conservative newspapers got in touch with me and they wanted quotes, but they wanted quotes about how it had all gone pear-shaped for these, these women, that things were terrible for oh, man. divorces, blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, these are marriages just like any others. Some are amazing, some are less so amazing, but her being the main earner is not the big problem. So it's actually a real opportunity for women to be independent and to support people that they love. Because in many cases, they had partners who were fantastically supportive. But they were the main, but the woman was the main earner and she couldn't have done it without them, if that makes sense, from behind. But they didn't like that and those, those newspapers didn't cover it because they wanted a bad news story. And I'm sorry, I cannot do that. Enough. Yeah, I love that. I, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of not sensationalizing things. And I think you're, to your point, you know, it, it really comes down to the bigger picture of effective communication and it's not really ever about the numbers. So I think that's really valuable. Speaking of numbers, I have one last topic I wanted to chat with you about. I watched your YouTube on how to be a confident woman on your CV. And okay. I am a fan too that numbers talk. And I also mm -hmm. see that numbers, again, right or wrong, have stayed in the masculine lane, more of the framework, more of the mm -hmm. metrics. And many women shy away from it out of fear, out of self-doubt of maybe like, I don't really know. And also staying in the flow. Like, I'm just going to trust that the universe has my back. I'm just going to go with the flow. Mm -hmm. And many, many people, especially really, I mean, kind of across the board from what I see working with female solopreneurs is it's rare for them to immediately know their analytics. Mm -hmm. What I hear more often, often is I'm not sure, or um, I only look at my numbers at tax time when I absolutely have to, yeah. and those type of things. So when you were talking about tying in value with money, how mm -hmm. do you counsel women to confidently and competently take charge of their metrics, and where does value come in when you're looking at numbers? Okay, so for me, I think you're right. It is a traditionally masculine area. But unfortunately, it's what's valued, and the woman herself may not value it hugely, but realistically, her business, whether she's running it herself or the company with which she works, does value it. So I think you really have to, you know, make it brass tacks. So what I mean by that is saying, okay, you know, managed a portfolio of X or brought in Y number new clients representing a potential of, of you know, Z or whatever. I think you have to also, even if you are not in a fee earning role, I think you can also talk about how you saved money for an organization or how you worked with this number of people in the organization. People just like the numbers. That is a particular big 
tip for me simply because so many of my clients, they're women in male-dominated fields. So the people who are judging their CVs are looking at the numbers. And, and I got to be honest, the other thing that's so funny is how frequently I work with these women and they will almost, almost sometimes like as a sidebar comment say, oh yeah, and we, uh, we, we hit all our targets this year and did the best out of, the, out of all the teams. I'm like, damn straight, that's got to be on your CV. Like... <laughs> Front page, absolutely. Like, don't shy away from it. Like, I think that's the big lesson: is step into it and own it. Just like, really feel that power and be proud of it. Yeah. And the other reason I like metrics as well, besides being a fellow science geek and a bit of a nerd, is it also helps you measure: Am I getting better? What's working for me in this business? What's not working for me in this business? And if you can, as we were talking about the confidence tip, piece it down a bit. It gives you a sense of rather than just being chicken little looking at, oh, I'm doing everything, the sky's falling, blah, blah, blah. It helps you see what is working and what is not. And yeah, and that's so important for us to, you know, to your point, take ownership of. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in the Kaizen philosophy of never-ending improvement. And one Mm. of the best ways we can do that is by testing and measuring and really looking at that, making it a monthly practice and not being afraid of it, but stepping into it. And if it's new to you, then you just reach out for support and and learn it, right? Mm -hmm. Because- Definitely. You can always have that, like to your point earlier, it's a skill that can be developed. Mm -hmm. It's not a secret. It's just a skill that can be developed. I love it. I can't wait for the con job to come out, (laughs) which is just like really weeks away. So I'll definitely share that link in the show notes. How else can people get a hold of you? Oh, well, we've got inclusic.com is the website. So that's I-N-C-L-U-S-I-Q. But I love when people link in with me. That's her. And, and you already mentioned the YouTube channel. I got to say, I got one more tip for people that I really want to just, I feel is, is particularly strong for women, which is around 360 feedback. So a lot of my clients will end up getting 360 feedback. Don't look at it in specifics, look at it as a theme because we too often hold ourselves focused on the 5% of the negative feedback we ended up getting and we let it destroy our confidence and our sense of moving forward. And we really need to be owning that 95% because the 5% is usually more. And let's be honest, if it is 5%, 10%, it's usually much more about the person who left that comment and what they expect from a woman or from you specifically, then it is about you. Let's be honest, if it was 75% of it, then you have to worry, you have to work on it. But realistically, don't let that grow out of proportion and just say, that person is going to be it and I've got to move forward with the 95% that I'm great at. You know, the, the truth is that there really is no nirvana of confidence. It will go up and down. And I'm going to share a last bit of research that just rocks my world, which is that confidence and competence, and this is why they're really important to understand the difference and also to value the right thing, which is competence. (laughs) And that's that they're not in parallel. That research shows the more confident somebody becomes, the less they focus on competence Mm, or their skills. And that should worry business owners to the hill. That really scares me. And we see that with leaders, places where they kind of just 
and we even see that now, you know, with, with global leaders who focus on a, a confident, you know, I've got it, you know, don't worry, nothing to see here, I've got it kind of attitude, when actually they should be listening to experts and to, you know, research and valid statistics rather than just saying, I've got a good feeling about this. That is confidence, but what we need is the competence. So don't even focus just on your confidence because actually true confidence comes at being really amazing at a competence area, that skill that we talked about before. Absolutely. And I think for the startup entrepreneur that maybe doesn't have a track record quite yet, Mm. um, the best way to get out of your head is to start working and put it into action and then start to build that competence by seeing the results and starting to get referrals and feedback. So don't stay stuck in your head and think that you need to be on a course carousel to continue to build competence when it's really just like you may got it, you know, you may totally have it under control. You may have everything that you need. It's just about putting it into action and putting it into momentum. Do you agree with that? Completely. I mean, and I, and I know you do as well, because I was listening to one of your podcasts with another Brit called Lindsay, and she talked about the journey she made when she was starting to help people become podcasters. And she said she had to get down in the details. She, rather than say, oh, world, I know how to be an amazing podcaster, she had to get down in the detail of what is the technical stuff people need to understand? How can I get amongst the weeds? And that's where competence comes from. And it's only those people you want to listen to because they know their stuff. They've been in the trenches, right? Right. Exactly. They they have street knowledge instead of book knowledge. And I I really value both. And yeah, I love that. That's cool. Yeah. That was a great episode with Lindsay Ann. That was was fun that you brought that up. And I'm I'm really appreciative that you've been a listener on the show. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. You've got great stuff. And I know the women, they really deserve honesty. And, And I think the truth is don't focus on confidence above all. Really just say to people when you're in meetings, you know, if you feel that you're being denigrated or you're, somebody's going it, just start your comments with things like, well, when I was talking to our clients about this, or when I was reading this article, or when I did my degree on this, or whatever it is, just highlight to people, look, people, I know my stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. People you know, gravitate towards research and they gravitate towards metrics and it's a great opening. I love that tip. You shared a lot of really amazing nuggets of wisdom. If you were going to leave us with one final bright light gem, what would it be, Dr. Suzanne? Okay. So for me, it's about questioning when you hear other people overvalue confidence. So that is people who say, oh, we should definitely hire that person because they, you know, they did a great job, blah, 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 blah. And really the questions to start asking to get people in that mindset is say, okay, you know, I I can see that, but can, you know, when have we hired somebody who we all thought was going to be amazing because they were so confident, (laughs) But but then they failed to deliver. And equally, who do we know here on this team or whatever, who's a real safe pair of hands, who takes on everything that we give them, just seems to just get on with the flow, but now we couldn't do without them. But they're not somebody we would traditionally call confident. Mm -hmm. Get people to unpack. Why do we value this one type of person, that showy, confident facade over someone who's in the trenches to yours word, but also can be trusted, that safe pair of hands? Because in my experience, those safe pair of hands are a lot, are very frequently women 
and people of color and people who are more introverted and people from more collective backgrounds, collectivist societies where talking about how individually great you are is not a cultural norm. Yeah, I love that. And I think now more than ever, we need those safe pairs of hands. We need to be able to trust who we surround ourselves with and really know that there's something so much deeper below the surface. The real meat is under the hood. And so I really love that you're peeling back the layers and going much more deep than the surface level of just kind of maybe pomp and show or what we assume confidence looks like because there's so many varying degrees of true confidence. So I love that you're bringing that all into the light. And I just can't wait to air this episode. I'll put your links in the show notes. And thank you so very much for being here on Women Developing Brilliance. No, I'm delighted. I'm delighted. And can I just share one last little expression that I only learned when I came to Britain? Absolutely. Okay. And it reminded me of something you were just saying when we were talking about that show, looking under the hood, all of that kind of stuff. I'm all about what's under the hood. And there's an expression that I I loved when I came to Britain and it was about who, (laughs) that showy person who is fur coat, no knickers. (laughs) That's adorable. I love that. (laughs) That's I got it all together, but when you peek under the surface, there's not uh, very much there. (laughs) Oh, man. That would be a good title for this. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. (laughs) That's awesome. Brilliant. All right. Take care so much, and thank you for having me, Casey. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Take good care. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode on Women Developing Brilliance. If so, head on over to Apple iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And I'd be grateful if you could leave a review or rating so more people can benefit from these inspirational stories about the solopreneur journey. Thank you.